you need time to think if you're constantly going when do you get a chance to actually have that vision and have that strategy and be able to build that out in your mind that they actually can put on paper it's really hard right if you're constantly going because we know the hamster wheel is real Sandra Campos is a board member, C-suite executive, CNBC contributor, and serial entrepreneurista. Throughout her career, she has built global lifestyle brands and has been instrumental in turnarounds, digital transformations, innovative marketing campaigns, and international expansion. Now, she takes what she has learned in her career and supports other Latina entrepreneurs through Latina Disruptors. Tune in to hear Sandra's journey as a first-generation Mexican-American rise to CEO level and beyond. Coming up, how Sandra straddled her full-time corporate job and her first business. You will hear Sandra reveal secrets and stories from starting her celebrity management business. She'll uncover her secrets to success. And finally, the three types of people in your life you need to grow your business. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. Sandra, we are so thrilled to have you here today to hear all about your incredible entrepreneurial journey and story. Did you always know as a child that you wanted to start your own business one day? Yes. Short answer. <laughs> and that is because I actually grew up and was raised in a family with two entrepreneurs and really out of necessity because they were both immigrants from Mexico. And so I'm first generation and they didn't know the language. They came as teenagers and they needed to figure it out. And so, you know, by necessity, while they may have had some short stinted jobs doing X, Y, and Z, which my father was a milkman, he was postal delivery, my mother worked in a bank as a bank teller, you know, different things like that. They ended up really realizing that they had the entrepreneurial spirit, but also that was going to help give them flexibility with six kids at home and being able to grow something that they knew. So my father actually had started a tortilla factory in El Paso, Texas. He went to learn from an uncle and I have a long line of entrepreneurs within the background as well. And then went to, we moved to Dallas between actually a town called Grand Prairie between Dallas and Fort Worth. And my father's tortilla factory really was the first job that I ever had. And at a whopping eight years old, I was working in the factory, working sometimes, not working sometimes, eating tortillas, not eating. I mean, I had a whole thing, you know, just like what we do when we're like that young. But I I didn't realize it until much later that I did always have that entrepreneurial spirit because not only from working in my father's tortilla factory, but then also as I was in high school and in college and I started really getting this creative bug thinking that I wanted to be a fashion designer. Mm. I was designing and creating products for my sisters and then I was selling things for people in college. And so I was making clothes. I was like sewing them. I was doing things and, and I was creating home products for my mother's home, which thankfully she didn't kill me because I was really making some really ugly things, but you know, pillow covers and curtains and other things like that. And just changed her her house over. She'd come home one day and be like, what is this? (laughs) And I'd find some scraps. So it was definitely always in me that I wanted to do something that was on my own. So while 
I couldn't necessarily do that initially. Maybe now in this generation, I would have started out as an entrepreneur. But at the time when I was kind of getting involved and getting out of college, it was more about the corporate path. I can definitely relate to your background. I also grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and my mom is Puerto Rican and my grandmother, she's uh, Korean. So definitely familiar with everything that you just described and grew up uh, in their their family businesses. And I also thought after I graduated from college that I would want to pursue a career in corporate America. And obviously here I am today, not having done that in the last <laughs> 10 years. Uh, so I would love to know, what, how did you make that pivot and what was your first entrepreneurial endeavor where you were really focused on it, making money, and, and what led you to launch Fashion Launchpad? Yeah, so I will just say I was working in corporate America for quite some time. I had spent years at Donna Karen and Ralph Lauren and Oscar de la Renta, you know, between licensed businesses and in-house businesses. And on the side, I was married. I am not now, I haven't been for a long time, but I was at the time. And he was very creative, is very creative, and had wanted to start a business that was focused on parents of young kids and creating a sandwich bag that parents could use to be able to pack their lunches, pack the snacks, but take fashion and apply it into basically a Ziploc bag, right? Mm -hmm. A little plastic bag. And so on the side, while I was working at Polo Ralph Lauren, on the side, we created this company called Moby. And Moby's tagline was seal it in style and probably had some of the first early collaborations, Todd Oldham, Kate Spade, Museum of Natural History. We were doing all these collaborations in, for holidays and created a business that ended up selling in 16 different countries. And it was in all the best stores that you'd want it to be in. We had a ton of press. I was kind of like everything at the time because when I actually left Polo, I spent I spent about a year and a half or two years actually really focused on that business until I was able to exit that business and, and move on from that. But that was the first, I would say, entrepreneurial business that actually had revenues, was generating revenues and ended up with income. So that was one thing. Then I went back into corporate because, you know, I, I got divorced and I had to figure out what I was going to do, how I was going to raise three kids, how I was going to be a single mom and still build a career. And I will say now looking back, I'm like, I did put my corporate career on pause to do it, but I knew what I wanted. I knew I wanted to be able to be at home. I couldn't be on the road two, three days a week anymore. I didn't want to come home at 8.30 at night and miss all of what they had done all day long. So a business partner and I, Tony Malolo, he and I created a company called Sinisher Holdings, which I still have today, but Sinisher Holdings was the brand management company, the first brand management company for teens and teen celebrities. And we did it with Selena Gomez. So we created that first business as an entrepreneurial team for six years. We had it exclusively at Kmart. We also sold it in six other countries and it was the best learning experience of my life, of my career and of my life. And the reason was that it was also happening in 2009 during the, you know, post 2008 and all the changes that were taking place, 2010, she had less than a million followers when we started with her. She was 16 years old. Everything changed. It was no, you know, there was no influence or network at that point in time. And so 
as she was growing and she was aging, I was really focusing aging. I mean, she was 16. So, (laughs) you know, she was getting older. I was the partner that was focused on all the business side, all the social media, all the really working with her family and developing that out. And then on the e-commerce side, we had the first shop and shop on Kmart.com. So I started getting really intrigued with digital at that point in time and very focused on the consumer because that's one thing throughout my career and throughout my life that even at the Tortilla Factory, had a retail store at the front. So it was always about the consumer. What did they want? What was behavioral changes that were coming based on cultural changes and shifts in music and everything else? So for six years, we had that. And that was like a really great business. You know, we had a guarantee $100 million a year. We had multiple licensees, 14 different categories. So it was something that we knew and we did, and we were really proud of it. And then when she turned 21 years old and wanted to shift courses, change management companies, et cetera, we all shifted courses. And I went back into corporate at that time. So I kind of flip-flopped from corporate you know, I guess maybe starting as an entrepreneur as a very young age, flipping into corporate, flipping back into entrepreneur and then flipping back into corporate and now back into entrepreneur. So, you know, it's definitely been a pivot, but for me, it's always been about continuing to add to my skills. So continuing education was a very big part of my family. My mother went to, I don't know how many degrees she has because she kept going to school to gain more and more skills herself. And I think it just was embedded in me to do the same thing. That is such a a fascinating story and journey. Can you go back to when you started this new business with your business partner, with Selena Gomez? Like, how did that business come to be? How did you end up partnering with Selena Gomez? Because I feel like, you know, I'm hearing the story and our listeners are hearing this. And it sounds like this, like, amazing, glossy, glitzy experience getting to work with Selena Mm. right away, starting this new business. But like, how, take us back to like, how did that actually happen? And did you already have all of the skill sets from working at, you know, Ralph Lauren to be able to do what you're doing with Selena? Like, how, tell us all the behind the scenes of how it happened. I thought I knew everything. <laughs> That's the thing. I thought I knew it all. I thought I had all the experience. And, you know, Tony is a creative director. He actually has a company called ATM, which is ATM Collection, which is t-shirts and a lot of other products around a knit fabrication that he does really, really well. But we he had come from the design side he was very creative and i'd come from the business side so together we were introduced by a mutual friend and we both had an idea that there wasn't a focus on celebrity brands at retail at that point in time and we had also both been in more of the luxury businesses where we had been dealing with retailers like Eva Marcus and Saks, et cetera. And we thought, well, mass must be better than this, right? It just must be easier, must be bigger volume. And so we decided early that we wanted to create something for celebrities and that we wanted to go to the mass market. So Tony happens to be very good friends with somebody who's one of the original founders of CAA, Creative Arts Agency, which has many of the celebrities you probably know. And we, because I had three small kids and I was sitting around a TV on Saturdays, which was the only day I let them watch TV, by the way, but on Saturdays, they'd be watching Wizards of Waverly Place and all the other Disney shows. And so I was very familiar with these teen stars and just from a business sense and understanding consumer and knowing that this Gen Z consumer was so focused on Selena Gomez. Mm-hmm. We went to CAA and we gave them our business model and said, this is what we want to do. And they say, great, who do you want? And we basically said, we want Selena Gomez. And at the time, we actually said, we want Selena Gomez and Demi Lovato. This is a story that I don't really tell, but I'm telling you guys, because yes, it it this is another way that has to pivot. Yeah, They were best friends. They were 15 years old. Mm-hmm. And we were like, we want them both. 
Demi's from Texas. I was from Texas. Selena's from Texas. I was from Texas. We had a lot of like similarities in terms of why we liked them. And I knew that, that they were really relevant to this consumer. So fast forward, we spent a year kind of courting them. And then ultimately their friendship did not continue and we had to make a choice. So we made that choice and we made Selena Gomez as our choice that we went forward with and were able to build that business with her. You know, she was incredibly sweet, kind, hardworking, one of the hardest working people, even at mm. that age that I can even think of because she was just constantly on and working and building her own skills and very, very gracious, very generous, very generous with her time and really wanted this to work and to be involved in it. So it was called Dream Out Loud by Selena Gomez. That was the brand. We did it all across the board. And I will say to you that it wasn't as easy as saying, oh, we're going to want Selena. Great. You have her. That was, you know, a bit of time that it took for us to get that as well and prove ourselves. And then also it wasn't as easy as saying, oh, we have the capital because, you know, they have to have a guarantee and Disney was involved because she was part of Disney. So there were a lot of different financial parameters. So we went out and I say this, like we had 99 no's across the board between licensees, between partners, between joint venture partners, just other people that we were out there trying to figure out, like, how do we raise capital? And I hadn't done it at that point in time because I self-funded the previous business mm -hmm. and I was always in corporate on the other side. So we that was a part that I didn't know and ended up learning. Like, how do we go out and pitch these to these companies. Like we know it's valid, but how do we get to that? Yes. And finally we did get to the yes. We ended up with a joint venture with a manufacturing partner who believed in it and also created the brand management company with us. And you know, that was, that's what it took, but it was a lot of knocking on doors, a lot of making phone calls, a lot of grit to say, yeah, we really believe that this is something of value. And, and we did it and we were one of the ones that did it early. And so it was fantastic, but you know, it didn't mean that it was always fantastic. <laughs> and there were certainly a lot of parts that were trial and tribulation, like every founder knows, because it is a roller coaster ride. And, you know, you hear it a lot, but it's like, you have to be ready for the dips and you have to be ready for the highs because sometimes they come in an hour, in the same hour, in the same day. And sometimes you're lucky enough to have a week in between. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing that. I think a lot of people don't realize once they get into entrepreneurship, how, high and low it is and how resilient you have mm -hmm. to be. And it's not as nice as it looks on Instagram, which is obviously the whole purpose of this conversation is to really highlight all the all of the challenges and learnings. And of course, there's a lot of good moments as well. Otherwise, why would we be crazy enough to keep going? <laughs> to do it again. Yeah. It's <laughs> and true. do it and again also, and repeat it. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, you know, you have to validate a business model. You have an idea. You've got to validate the business model. You have to monetize the business model. You have to be able to work with your partner. You guys have obviously done it well for a long time, but that always doesn't have, you know, a smooth sailing across the board. But if you have the right skill sets and you find somebody who has some skill sets that you don't have, and you guys, mm -hmm. in, you know, in your own business, you've separated out some of between the agency and entrepreneurista. We similarly said like, here's our line, right? Here's the boundary. You're doing this and I'm doing that. And we kind of respected that between each other. And that was really, really helpful. Doesn't always happen. That's what's worked for for us over the years, for sure. Dividing and conquering and having opposite skill sets and highly recommend that to everyone with co-founders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I and I, we're still very good friends and I adore him and he's done a fantastic job with the business that he built. And, you know, it was a funny story because he had said to me, like when we were getting 
three plus years into our business, he was like, you know, I want to start a t-shirt company. I was like, I don't want to do a small t-shirt company. <laughs> t-shirts not interesting. Well, meanwhile, he's built this incredible business <laughs> that's much more than t-shirts and fantastic and global and everything else. So I was like, you know, we're not always the smartest thing in terms of making decisions either. So you may you do what you can at the time. <laughs> Up next, hear about how Latina Disruptors is changing the landscape for Latina founders. Tell us more about Fashion Launchpad. How did that come to be? Well, as I was saying, I've had a lot of varied experiences. And because I've pivoted, one of the most important things for me was to continue to just add to my skill sets. I didn't want to be in the same role, in the same job, doing the same thing. And maybe I should have, but I didn't. I didn't want to. And so I continued to just add more and more. And oftentimes, I knew I would be ready, but I may not have been fully ready then, but I was like, I'm going to do this. And then I would just take on the challenges. And so fast forward, because I had been able to transition from a retail business that was very focused on wholesale for a long time, because when I started out in the industry, there were 50 something department stores all over the country. That's not the case now, right? Everybody started moving towards digital late 2009, 2010. And from there, it's obviously catapulted into in the trajectory that we all know today. So when I was being able to pivot, I was doing it because I was deeply focused on learning and getting those new skills and doing what I could to make sure that I was becoming an expert in those areas. And so I kind of jumped over certain segments because I was able to do it from a corporate standpoint and back into entrepreneurial standpoint and then going back into corporate and take those skills that I had learned and developed being an entrepreneur, which is basically, as you know, you do everything and you do multiple things all day long in multiple roles. So when the pandemic happened, I was the CEO of DVF, Diamond Furstenberg, and it was probably the worst experience of my career Mm -hmm. as it relates to between April and June of 2020, for all the reasons we all know. But having to furlough 75% of your employees that you had really built up to believe that we were going to build building this very significant brand and turning this around into a very profitable business, and you get cut short from that. You're on double-digit increases. You're doing all these good things. You know know it, but then you just get cut short from that, from a pandemic. And we were all sitting around in quarantine. No one was buying $500 dresses, and we didn't have a crystal ball to say what's going to happen. So ultimately, the company shrunk dramatically, and they didn't need me as a you know, high-level CEO or whatever else. And so I left the company. And during that time when I left and I was going through all these furloughs, everybody else was having the same situation, everybody else that I knew in the industry. And so one day I was like, I'm getting so many calls. I have all these mostly women that were reaching out to me saying, my husband lost a job. I got to figure out how to get back in. I've been focused on wholesale and sales. How do I learn about e-commerce and digital? Where can I get the information? And I I had this trigger and I just posted on LinkedIn and I said, you know, I'm going to do some videos and I'm going to try to create something that helps other people learn virtually because we're all sitting at home. And I want to do that. Who else wants to? I got thousands of people that were C-suite entrepreneurs, you know, CEOs, founders. I want to be involved. I want to be involved. And then I started getting people saying, I want to, I want to learn. So I thought, well, this is something right. And I didn't know, is it a full business? 
you know, ed tech is obviously a very big industry and lots of companies have done very well in it, but I didn't know how I was going to take it and really focusing in on the industry or if it was actually going to be something that went beyond the industry and that needed to kind of pivot. So I was working through that, brought a couple people in to step, help develop the product and the content and creating videos on it and then started getting people to test it. And I did a couple of like interviews with some friends of mine, but I was really just going out to friends saying like, look, you know, we're all at home. People need to learn how do we actually give them some of this information and this knowledge. So as that evolved over the year, I was also took another interim CEO role and I was doing more technology and other things. And so I was backing out of it, but I had another person that was really focused on the day to day. And fast forward again, I was like, this is not going away. We still need learning. People still need growth and they still need to learn. And so fast forward in that year, I, as a Latina first generation, started seeing and hearing from more and more Latinas. And I was like, okay, now it's even more because now you've got, you know, people that people of color, people who are underrepresented and we had George Floyd and that whole situation. So it was becoming very, a very important topic to say like, how are we going to help not just people in the industry, but how are we going to help those that are actually the ones that have the least opportunities? Mm -hmm. So I then started kind of pivoting it a little bit more to saying like, you know, maybe this is actually something for Latinos. Maybe this is something for founders and entrepreneurs who I was hearing from as well that were like, how do I scale my business? How do I get past this? And I started seeing statistics that showed that for Latinos in general, only 3% of all Latino businesses scale beyond a million dollars of revenue a year. And I'm like, wow, well, what happens there? And what happens then? And then I started getting statistics about the fact that it's 60% harder to raise capital or get a bank loan for Latinos than it is for the non-Hispanics. And I was like, well, how do we fix that? You know, And how do we actually take founders who are disrupting industries, who are doing very creative things, who are actually outperforming, outscaling, but aren't having those stories told about them? And the ones that aren't there yet don't have the skill set and aren't being told in a way and with a platform that they feel comfortable with. So fast forward, I was like, okay, it's Hispanic Heritage Month coming up. I need to take this whole skill set, knowledge and virtual platform. And I need to take it into a in-person because we're all starting to come back in person this past year. And so there were a lot of events going on in the fall season. And so I created something that was called Latina Disruptors. I'd started doing something a year before that just to try to kind of get people involved in building this network. And I realized that it's not just about me or my generation. It's about the next generation of entrepreneurs and giving the next generation of Latinas, in this case, the opportunity and the access. And so I was just investing in angel investing in companies and really seeing that there were so many that I was just amazed and inspired by. But I needed to tell that story. So the Latina disruptors of what this has kind of evolved into was also another pivot. But I did that based on what I was hearing feedback wise, what I was seeing in terms of the changes overall with founders and founder led businesses. And how do we scale this change and this growth to where now we have more Latinas who are actually able to scale beyond that million dollars? How do we give them the mentorship and the support and the lessons and the knowledge? So. I created Latina Disruptors last October, had the first event in New York City. It was fantastic. We highlighted and featured six women who have all really scaled their businesses from Baba Rivera of Ceremonia. You may know many of these people. 
to Daniela Pearson from the Newsette and Wondermind, to Carla Gallardo, who was one of the first early DTC companies for accessories, and Bianca Gates, who's founder of Birdies, which is also DTC, and now kind of going into more brick and mortar. So we had these women that have been doing this business, and we featured them. We brought in banks. I had Morgan Stanley, Palladium, Bank of America. They came in as our sponsors, and they were at this event. We had NBC, Telemundo, Forbes, because I wanted the media to come in and say, hey, you're not telling enough stories of diverse mm-hmm. founders, and we need to do that. And it ended up being this such a fantastic event. We had you know, some of these founders. We had a lot of other founders that came that were not featured. We also had more media come, and we just wanted to display, like, this is the strength. And one of the big things that came out of that is that every single one of those women said, look, we're entrepreneurs. We're not here to whine about what we don't get. Mm-hmm as Latinas, we're here to tell you, we're going to kick ass Mm -hmm. because we know what we're doing. We're not stopping. We're unstoppable. And these are the businesses that we're creating and they're generating a tremendous amount of volume. They're creating jobs for their markets and for people around the country. And that's what we wanted to share. So we then went from that into another one that was featuring eight tech founders emerging and existing. And some of the stories are just phenomenal, but again, no one's telling them. So one founder who is Cuban American, from Miami who started a tech accessories business that in her third year, she grew from like 40 million to 200 plus million to then 750 million in sales in her third year of business. That's phenomenal. Like it's unheard of, right? For any entrepreneur, much less a female and much less a Latina female who is an immigrant from Cuba. So you have all these factors here. We were seeing others that were scaling and growing and raising $250 million for their company and they weren't even 30 years old yet. And so we've started building this community and we had, Bianca Gates was kind enough to host an event the night before this, this big event that we had the forum. And we had 65 founders in that home. And it was phenomenal because you had people who had scaled and exited their businesses. You had people that were investing in founder businesses. You had startup, you had everything in between. And what I realized more and more is that that's what this is about. Similarly to what you guys are doing with Entrepreneurs, it's about this networking community that are peer-to-peer, that feel comfortable, that understand that we all have similar backgrounds. You have similar things that hold us back because of some of the cultural upbringings that we have. You know, in, in the Latino world, we talk about this a lot. I don't know, Courtney, if you've experienced this or heard this from your own background, but it's stay quiet take your job, you're doing really well, don't raise your hand a lot, you know, don't make a lot of noise. And, and that's been a similar theme that I've heard repeatedly. So we have to break out of that mold. We have to help others and provide a platform where we can do that. So we're continuing with Latina Disruptors and creating this ecosystem of which Fashion Launchpad is included as the educational component of which we're creating this peer-to-peer network of which we're doing other things that are very similar to what you guys are doing, which is why it's so fantastic to hear what and how you've been able to grow Entrepreneurista and your own social fly business. Yes, yes, and yes to everything you're doing and so many ways we can collaborate and partner together and feature, you know, some of these women who haven't yet obviously been featured on Entrepreneurista yet and just share their stories because we're all, you know, we have the same vision. We want to help. We want to help these women. We want to give everyone the resources and connection and community. And Courtney and I talk about this probably every single day, right, Courtney? Just about network and community. And like, this is how we built our business. This is how we built Social Fly by, you know, putting ourselves out there and meeting people and helping others and connecting. And no one builds a business 
alone in a basement. Like you have to have champions and networks and community and support. And together, we're all so much stronger and can help each other and make those connections, introductions and resources. So I agree with you. And Carla Gallardo actually told me a very important quote that I use now quite a bit, which is, Mentors speak to you, coaches speak with you, but sponsors speak about you. And so everything, we all need all three. Yes. We don't just need one, we need all three. And so that's what we're trying to do is connect those three amongst this network, this community to be able to help. And it's just, it's getting stronger and stronger, not because it's specific to being Latina, but it's specific to wanting to help others who come from a similar background, who have some of the same backlog, (laughs) I'll call it, that it doesn't matter what the level of education is. Somebody could have a Harvard or Stanford MBA and they're still asking the same question when they get to a point in their business, like, okay, what do we do? What is asset-based financing? What is, you know, debt finance? How do we do that? How do we, how do we do that? Who do we do it with? So we're partnering with some financial institutions to be able to do these workshops as well, which we'll have one at the end of April in Miami. And that's going to be focused on a day and a half of 25 minute sessions that are going from branding, develop your brand to digital skills and tech stack to financing options and everything in between. So the content of that is going to be very much like buckle down, get in your seat and get your pen out because you're going to learn a lot here. Yeah, there are so many synergies with with what we're doing. I'd love to learn more about the business model. Is it a paid membership? Is it all sponsorships? And what do you hope to happen in the future? So Fashion Launchpad started out as a membership platform where it would be a monthly recurring, you know, average recurring revenue type of tech business where it was going to be $20 a month for everyone to log on and have access to the all the different videos and the content there. As we've continued to pivot, we've had sponsors because you guys probably know this, but all of the institutions out there, private equity, venture capital, I don't know about hedge funds per se, because I haven't spoken to them as much, but financial institutions, banks, et cetera, they, they need the pipeline of entrepreneurs. They need these businesses on the commercial side, on you know various investment banking side, et cetera. So they want the pipeline of these founders who are going to be out there making these businesses like a $750 million third year in business. So we have moved into a bit of a combination hybrid. So from the membership piece, the event piece, which is going to be a ticketed event and the sponsorship piece. That's where we are today. Coming up, why self-love is critical when being an entrepreneurista. All right, Sandra, this is our favorite segment here. We're going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So mm-hmm. the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Brace yourself. Okay. Describe yourself in three words. Resilient, positive, and visionary, if I can say that. Absolutely can say that. What's your favorite business tool? I think note-taking, my notes app on my phone, because I do a lot of note-taking after every call, during every call, I kind of write things down and then I can go back to them and I date them. And so note-taking on my phone. What is another app on your phone that you can't live without? I'd like to live without Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) But I find myself going back to that way too often. 
What was your first job? Okay, my first job outside my family's business was get ready for this because you're going to be so inspired. <laughs> I worked at, if you know Texas and any of the water parks, Texas is a very hot summer yeah. in the hundreds, right? I worked at Whitewater Water Park as a junior in high school. And, you know, several people from high school would go and try to get a job there. And you had to kind of draw straws, believe it or not, to find out what department you were working in. So my friends got into the ice cream cart where they were able to get into a nice air conditioned building for ice selling ice cream. And I was in the sanitation department. Didn't expect so that, that one. Was my first that was a paying, twist. <laughs> that was my first paying job, picking up trash from all the kids and all the people that would just throw everything on the ground at a water park. Hey, you learn a lot from being in the hospitality industry for all future endeavors that I, I that learned, I know. I learned I will never do that again. Yeah. <laughs> It's my recurring nightmare that I'm going to have to go to a, a clean up everybody else's stuff. <laughs> Do you have a hidden talent? Hidden talent. Well, I don't know that I have it that much anymore, but I used to be very musical growing up and I played the French horn and I played the piano and I was very good at the French horn, but I chose cheerleading, you know, smart girl chose cheerleading over, over French horn. <laughs> I'm kidding. But if anything, I, I have that that part of the music with as far as that goes. But I would say hidden talent. I don't know. My talent maybe is my kids because I'm very proud of what they've done and, and who they are and and how they really kind of also, they have a lot of resilience. And because they've been with a mom who has been an entrepreneur, has been a C-suite executive, has been a CEO and doing a lot of different things, they've learned a lot from that. And I didn't realize that until recently when my, my now three kids are in college. And I hear these comments coming out. And I'm like, oh, they actually were in the room when I was doing that negotiation, or they really did hear about my son knows the PL backwards and forwards. And, you know, he's a sophomore in college now, but he just understands that easily. And I was like, how did you learn that? I was like, well, I'm your son. I've been around that. I'm like, oh, so maybe that's, well, it's not so hidden. It's maybe it's hidden from me, but more so exposed from them. That's amazing. I love hearing that. All right. Last question in our rapid fire. And this is an open-ended question. What is the craziest thing that has ever happened in your business or one of your businesses? You know, I think it was pretty crazy that we had Selena Gomez, who in six years time that we had her skyrocketed. And we just couldn't even keep up with what her level of success was. We believed it was going to happen, but it happened very quickly. Mm -hmm. So thinking about just that trajectory, I think that was pretty crazy in terms of what, what we were able to do from going from all those no's to being able to really see this trajectory of, and then prove to everyone yeah. who said no, that we actually did build a business and it was a profitable one. I just love that story. And I'm so glad that, that you shared it. It's, it's really, really incredible. I want to go back to your kids and being a mom. And I would love to hear what has it been like over the years building these businesses, you know, going back and forth between corporate America, launching new businesses and being a mom to these three resilient children? Any advice you can share to all the moms out there or all of those who are thinking about starting a family and trying to run businesses? Like what, how did you make it all work? Because it's not easy. I have a three and a half year old and I know how hard it is. <laughs> It's the best time. <laughs> it's the best time in three and a half. Oh, no, she's amazing. I, and she's a little, she's a little entrepreneurista. She literally makes videos saying, I'm an entrepreneurista. It's the best oh thing ever. So, Well, yeah. and see, she's learning from all that. Yeah. I think that the reality is good or bad. We all do the best that we can. 
at that moment, right? And there's so many challenges that was we talked about that come into life in general, divorce for me, life in general as an entrepreneur, where you have a roller coaster ride, things that you don't plan on, things you don't expect, but then you have to deal with it. And I think teaching your kids more than anything else, that resilience, that you're going to have problems. They're going to be tough days. You will get through it. And this is how you're going to get through it. So giving those coping mechanisms and those tools, I may not have done the best job at it, but I think, you know, they've seen that resilience. So they've seen by example that, you know what, you may fall down for a minute, but you got to get right back up again. Mm -hmm. And I think that no matter what time and time again, it has served my kids well, as I've seen that they've had their own little falls. It might be small now, but they might be big later. And you realize that you are resilient, you will make it through. And while mental health is so important and Certainly when I was growing up, it wasn't even a topic and you weren't allowed to cry. You weren't allowed to like be down for a minute. You just had to keep going because you had work to do. Now it's like, take that moment and create that self-love and take the time to be good to yourself and be kind to yourself. Cause there's too many people out there that are unkind mm-hmm. and sometimes they're unkind to us and just the, the actions or in the words. And it's hard, especially with social media. And you always feel like less than or someone has more than and all the different things that go on in life today, especially for kids as they're on social media, but just building that resilience in and showing them by example, I wasn't perfect and haven't been perfect. And I've made a lot of mistakes for sure. And I wish I would go back and do things differently. But, you know, I will say that in certain times that I did miss with my kids, I was there for a lot more. Mm-hmm. So don't give yourself guilt, even though we have mom guilt built in us. Don't give yourself that guilt over the things that you're not there for, because you'll be there for the most important ones that they'll remember. I love that advice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I tell Molly all the time, everything is figure outable when everything's happen. I try to sh- it's okay. You know, this didn't work, but we're going to try something new. We can figure it out. And I like really try to instill that in her from a young age because I've just seen, you know, running businesses, dealing with health challenges, the things that happen for everyone every single day. It's having, you know, problem solving skills and that resilience. And I think with all of the, you know, founders that we've talked to over the years, that is like the number one thing for a successful founder. You have to be resilient. Otherwise, not the right career path. (laughs) Right. I'd say one more thing, which I learned too late because again, I'm a problem solver. So if there's a problem, I'm going to find a solution and I'm going to get to it really quickly. But there's also certain kids and they're, everybody's different Mm -hmm. that just need you to listen. And Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, finally my daughter who my oldest had gotten to me when she said, you know, I don't need you to try to solve this. I just need you to listen. And I was like, Oh, Okay. Thank you for telling me that because it was like a big hit in the head going, yeah, okay. She knows she can figure it out, but she just wants to have somebody to cry on too. And, you know, we need to be that mom as well. Yeah. Such good advice. Thank you for sharing that. I'm going to remember that when I try to jump in and solve everything. It's hard. So, I know. Because <laughs> you're an I operator I, always. So oh, you're like, oh. oh, I know. I and, and she'll even at three and a half, she'll even say to me, like, I can do it. I can do it. I'm like, oh, do you want me to help you with that? Because I automatically offer to try to do something. And I always have to like bite my tongue. They want to learn how to do it on their own. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. But enjoy those years. Cause I don't know, Kurt, Courtney, do you have kids? I don't have kids, but as you were speaking, it reminded me. So just last week I went to New York to our management meeting and, you know, 
as a leader of a company, it for me, it feels like I have a, managing a lot of, not my kids, but it, it feels that way sometimes. And sometimes <laughs> yes, I have to remember to, you know, people are going to come to me, share what's going on, share problems. And sometimes people need to vent. So one of the things that we did as a management team was we, I made everyone go around the table because a lot of of us were meeting for the first time because we've hired people over Zoom and just share a little bit about their personal lives, how they like to get feedback, how they like to give feedback, how their working styles, the best ways to manage conflict, all of that stuff. But one of the things that I said to them was, you know, personally, I don't like to hear complaints and I'm naturally a problem solver. So if you come to me and complain, I'm going to try to solve your problem. So let me know if you just want me to listen because... (laughs) A lot of times when you come to me, I'm just going to try to solve what you're saying really, really fast so I can move on to the next thing. And it's it's nothing personal, but when you were speaking, that just reminded me of that. It was very smart to do that. That's I'm going to take that tip on as well, because I don't think I've ever articulated that to any of my team. We've been running the business for over 10 years. And, you know, one of my biggest challenges as a leader is getting everyone to work well together, be team players. And oftentimes it's very, it's much more comfortable for people to come to me and complain versus just go and give feedback directly to the person. So to bring everyone together, I I thought I'm only one week in, but I already see that people are much more calm and working better together. (laughs) But ask me in six months. You have to be constant reminders, right? We all need constant reminders. That's the thing. But at least you're facilitating the conversation and you're giving them the opportunity. It was so effective. It really, really was. And I got to learn all of these new things, these very personal things about the team. So, you know, it's one thing too. I would say that not only as parents, but also as business leaders and entrepreneurs, I did not grow up in the industry at a time when there was conversation around coaching and, you know, learning how to be more empathetic. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, you know, here's your business, you go and, you know, you move up the ladder and that's what you do, right? That's your natural leadership skills. But at the end of the day, we all have to continue to try to learn and to grow and to be better because the generations are different. Mm-hmm. And now you have new generations that are working that need different things from their leadership. So I think it's a very valid point and one that is something that I know I'm trying to take on more of to be able to be better. And that just changes depending on the company and the individuals. So good for you. Sandra, what would you say you're most grateful for every day? My resilience. You know, I really have to tell you because we all have a lot in life and I've had a lot and some days it's like overwhelming Mm -hmm. and, you know, it never seems to be like everything's a hundred percent. Like it's very rare when I feel like business and home life are like this. And as your kids get older and there's more problems and they always say like little kids, little problems, big kids, I had no idea what that meant (laughs) until they became big kids. (laughs) But I'm appreciative for myself for like just the fact that I do get through it because mm-hmm. I do keep going. And whether it's heartbreak, whether it's kids' issues, whether it's my own, whether it's business, like all that, you just, I'm very good and bad. I'm very good at compartmentalizing and putting them into a box and they kind of like stash them away. And that might make me, as my kids say, you're not as emotional of a person as maybe I need to be sometimes with them. But that's how I've been able to cope with the changes. I put them in their box. I put them away and I'm saying, I'll come back to that if I need that. But like that happened, here it goes. Yeah. Are there other things that you have done to like help take care of yourself and 
when things have not been going well to get through these really hard times that you'd recommend that other entrepreneurs try out? I would say that from a founder standpoint, having your network of friends and or, you know, if you want to call them mentors or sponsors or whichever one of those you have, it's your most valuable asset as a founder, because who else are you going to complain to? You can't talk to your, your team about it, mm-hmm. right? So who else are you going to, so having that network that's built in of people that you can trust and rely on and be able to call for like certain things. That's the biggest thing that I have been able to kind of focus on and who are they and who are the ones that are either going to just let me vent, listen to me, or give me something to actually think about. So I've had a very narrow group of people in my life that I've been able to use that. And they actually are the same now as they were 20 years ago. So it's, it's good to have those as well. Definitely. But otherwise, no, I don't self-medicate or, <laughs> or do any other things. <laughs> Meditation, <laughs> yoga, deep breathing. I you don't, know. <laughs> I don't, I, I, I don't, I get to my, my brain is too scattered to be able to sit for meditation because within like 20 seconds, I'm like, okay, I, I missed. What did they say? <laughs> Cause I'm already thinking about 10 things. I've tried so many times to meditate. Courtney's like very good at meditation. I can't do it. I've tried and it's just not, it's not for me. And I've learned like, it doesn't have to be for everyone just because meditation works for a lot of people. It doesn't mean it's the right thing for me. But I will say it may not be called meditation in that same format, Mm -hmm. but there are, I actually bought a farmhouse in upstate New York before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. luckily, and (laughs) I've got rescue horses and I have animals and I didn't ever have animals before. I knew I was going to have some sort of horse farm later on in my life, but I, when I go to the barn, I don't take my phone. Mm-hmm. So that's the time that I have with them is probably the time, the only time that I don't have my phone with me. And the only time that I actually get to just think on my own. And I think that is a very undervalued skill. Mm-hmm. I used to hear it from somebody in investment banking years ago. Hey, he would just like shut away for one or two hours during a day just to think. And I thought, wow, like, what is that? (laughs) But I think it's a very undervalued skill. Like you need time to think if you're constantly going, when do you get a chance to actually have that vision and have that strategy and be able to build that out in your mind that they actually can put on paper? It's really hard, right? If you're Mm -hmm. constantly going, because we know the hamster wheel is real. It definitely is. Last question for you. What does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I'm not going to use the root word resilient again. <laughs> you know, I think entrepreneurista to me now is when I look at it, it is not about trying to define yourself as a woman who's running a business. It's defining yourself as a leader who is building a business. And that building of the business is something that is an ongoing process. And to me, being an entrepreneurista is an ongoing process. Mm-hmm. It's never over unless maybe you sell your business and you walk away and you just retire, but it's never really over, right? And for entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, you're generally going to do more and more mm-hmm. because it's it's in you and there's ideas in you and there's ways you think something can be done better. And so, you know, I love that about being able to be an entrepreneur is you can keep going more and you can mm-hmm. keep advising and keep and, you know, keep creating. Absolutely. I love that. Sandra, where can everyone find you, follow you for those that want to get involved with Fashion Launchpad and everything that you're working on? How can they get involved? LinkedIn 
is my number one platform that I go to all the time. I love LinkedIn for the learnings, for a lot of the posts that people share, and obviously for networking purposes. I do say, and I wish there were times that I would have taken advantage more of networking, but I do try to event to, to take advantage of as many events as I can, not only to be a part of, but also just to listen and network and learn because I feel very fulfilled with that and, and feel very enriched by the people that I come in contact with and just help me think about things differently. And, you know, obviously Instagram, since I said, I don't get off of that. I'm kind of on there too. Sandra Campos NYC is what I am on all my platforms. And yeah, I, I'm going to try in 2023 to not be as focused on the social media world, but we'll see how that goes. <laughs> Let us know how, how you do with that. <laughs> I don't know. Well, Sandra, thank you again for being here and sharing your story. We're going to link out to all of your handles for now while you're still on social media and Fashion Launchpad <laughs> and everything you're working on in the, in the show notes below so everyone can find you. And we still look forward to collaborating with you and continuing the conversation. So thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.